Miriam. Papa. I don't know what to do. I don't understand what's happening. What's the problem? It's your mother. Mama, what's wrong with Mama? She's not here. She's... Tonight's the annual faculty holiday party, and she's not here. I... She's never missed this party before, ever. Well, where is she? I don't know. You don't? I mean, she went to Paris, but she was supposed to be back by now. Paris? She went to Paris. When did she go to Paris? A few days ago. She was going on a shopping trip or something. What do you mean, or something? It just doesn't make sense that she would miss the party. Papa, what did she say? That she was going to Paris, and she'd be back before the party. She said that. Yes, well, I assume she said that. Assume? This is a great party, Miriam. They have a band. Papa, did you ask when she'd be back? Yes. A second ago, you assumed. Asked, assumed, same thing. Not at all the same thing. Pretty close. You teach at Columbia. They should be terrified. Did you look around your den? For what? For flight information, a hotel name, a phone number, Amelia Earhart. There's nothing in my den. Papa, think hard. When Mama said she was going to Paris, what exactly did she say? I don't know. Concentrate. Recreate the moment. I was there, and she came in, and... I'm going to Paris. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like I have a life here anymore. Everything and everyone that I always counted on has let me down. I don't know what my place is here. You don't need me. Miriam doesn't need me. I serve no purpose. I'm unhappy, and I'm tired of being unhappy, so I book myself a flight for tomorrow night. Zelda's making lamb for dinner. Lamb's good. Hi, guys. That was funny, wasn't it? It's funny until you've moved to Paris and you think no one knows, including your husband. You have to start off with a little humor because this topic is fraught with um, all kinds of tension, isn't it? Um, Gerson, a great job. I actually missed his sermons, but I listened to them on podcast, and he's done a great job of having a vision for men and women in marriage and being good husbands and good um, fathers. And we have so many great men in this church. Um, but he asked me to, to talk about what women want. And so I'm not going to focus on marriage alone because, I mean, we'd be here all day, right? <laughs> Women have like twice as many words as men. So I'm going to try to cut it to the quick. But I think that we at Lakeland have so many great examples of what to be in the world when it comes to men and women and what women want in in broad terms, okay? And so I want to affirm us and I want to encourage us that we are doing it so well. I don't hear great sermons on the issue. I tried. Um, but what it always ends up being is some sort of theology on power that has one person powering over the other and the other one just sucking it up. Usually, it's the women. And so we know, since I'm preaching today, that that's not how it is here. Um, so let's uh, go ahead and just jump in. I, I don't want to make too light of it, because I think it is a serious topic. And I think we're in, in for a bumpy road uh, for the next few years in the culture. It is really, really difficult to be a man. I have a great sympathy. for I'm married to a man, and I love him dear, dearly. I have a son. It's 21, and we talk about these things quite a bit. He's in the corporate world. I'm in the church world. And, and really, it's no different when we hear issues about gender and how to treat each other in the world. I'm going to um, tell you some difficult things. It's going to get a little, a little deep here for a minute. Uh, hopefully, you guys are 
good talkers in your home and that you can talk to your children pretty openly about things. If not, you might want to go ahead and go out in the hall and listen to the podcast on your own Um, because it is going to get a little heavy. So here's some statistics on men. Men are twice as likely to struggle with alcohol and drug addiction and other kinds of addiction. After the age of 14, a young man is twice as likely to commit suicide. And really, only young men or men in general commit acts of violence in mass quantity. It's really, really rare for a female to commit an act of violence in a mass quantity. Or, you know, I know we hear that women are mean to each other, and they can be, but um, it's really men who commit the most amount of violence against women. Um, That's staggering. That's trouble. That's a problem. Loneliness is considered to be a current social epidemic, and experts are saying it could cut as much as eight years off of the man's life. That's a lot. Women are moving ahead in all aspects of society. Softer skills that were seen as more traditionally feminine are being more valued in leadership in the corporate world and the medical field. Um, And more masculine or traditionally masculine skills are becoming a little more obsolete. They're being outsourced more to technology. And so, of course, economically, the power structure is changing. Um, No longer does a woman need to be married, to be economically ahead. Um, And guys, if that's going to happen in culture, it's going to cause some sort of stress, some sort of tension. When things are uprooted like that, there's always going to be some sort of problem to get used to that kind of cultural norm. I don't have a problem with there being two genders or having one heavy gender. I know that in medical school, I hear that there are more women now in medical school than men. I don't have a problem with that. Um, obviously, I'm a pastor. Only 6% of pastors are female. And there's only one megachurch pastor that's female. And she got to be crazy. <laughs> I would not do that, but good for her. Um, all that to say, I do think that the, the power structures are changing. Um, my son actually gave me an article in the Atlantic. If you read any kind of magazine, that's a good one. Did you guys read this? called the miseducation of our young, of an American boy. It's heavy. It's going to get heavy here. So I'm going to quote it. This, this lady did an extensive survey on teenage boys and the pressures they're facing today. Uh, it says, by adolescence, Harvard psychologist William Pollock says that boys become shame-phobic. They're convinced that peers will lose respect for them if they discuss their personal problems. Boys routinely confided that they felt denied by male peers, girlfriends, the media, teachers, coaches, and especially their fathers, the full spectrum of human expression. That's that's heartbreaking, right? That a, a young boy would feel like they could not express everything that they wanted to emotionally. But not new, necessarily. So she interviews a guy named Cole, and she says Cole eventually found his people on the crew team. It wasn't a smooth fit at first. 
He recalled an incident two years prior when a senior was bragging in the locker room about how he'd convinced one of Cole's female classmates, a young sophomore, Cole emphasized, that they were an item, and they started, but then he started hooking up with other girls behind her back. And the guy wasn't shy about sharing the details. Cole and a friend of his, another sophomore, told him to knock it off. I started to explain why it wasn't appropriate, Cole said, but he just laughed. The second day, the next day, a second senior started talking about getting back at that B word that rhymes with witch that I'm not going to say in the pulpit because I don't want to get fired. Um, but we've all heard it. That witch dumped him. Cole's friend spoke up again. But this time, Cole stayed silent. And as I continued to step back and the other sophomore continued to step up, you could tell that the guys on the team stopped liking him as much. They stopped listening to him, too. It's almost as if he spent all his social currency trying to get them to stop making sexist jokes. Meanwhile, I was sitting there, cold thumped his chest, too afraid to spend any of mine. And I just had buckets left. I don't know what to do, he said earnestly. Once I'm in the military and I'm part of that culture, I don't want to have to choose between my own dignity and my relationship with others I'm serving with. He wants to belong. But he looked me in the eye. How do I make it so I don't have to choose? The article goes on, guys. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in it, email me. It's heavy. It's super heavy. The pressures that our boys are facing today. Now, I don't know if that conversation's necessarily new. I think I've heard that when I was in high school, right? Like, what's new about that? Um, what I do think is new about our culture and the pressures that are in our culture is that women are screaming, time's up and enough. And young men are hearing on one side they can't express all their full emotions and that their sexual conquests are what's going to make them into a man. And women are saying, "Uh uh-uh, that's a bunch of bull. And what's new now is that we live in a cancel culture. Do you guys know what that is? A cancel culture that says you're canceled if you don't get it right. You're canceled at the age of 14. You're no longer worthy. You're no longer relevant if you're canceled. And everything that you have to say while you're working out this kind of thing is on display for everyone else to see. There's no time to become a man, is there? You got to get it right the first time. And, and you don't really know which one it is. Dignity, respecting women, or being this bro. She talks a lot about bro culture in this article. The stakes seem to be higher. So, what does the church have to say about this? What do we do about this? How is our theology on this? What is biblical? What can we take from scripture that we can apply in a culture like today? It's so fraught and just, you know, complicated. So I have three things, and I got these three things from you guys, from the men in this church. And I, listen, I've never really liked being up here on stage, but everyone has affirmed me in this. And so what I want to take are the things that I've been taught from you and then hope that it 
gives a better vision for men and women in ministry, in your workplace, in your marriage, and in culture. Because there is no space for sexism anymore. There's just not, there never was, biblically. But the stakes are high now. We want to help our boys. We want to help our men. So I've got three things. Three things. You know, I want you to say this with me because I lost energy first service. I don't know if they were asleep or not, okay? First, uh, the first thing is to include. Say this with me. Include. include. Second is intervene. intervene. Third is affirm and empower. They're kind of the same thing, but we'll talk about it. The first thing I want to tell you is to include women in all areas of decision-making. Include women. If we are the Imago Dei, as Genesis 1 says, if we are the image of God, we are the image of God together. All this language about the image of God being about men being created one way and women being created another way. Listen, we were created to be together. Let's, let's look at Genesis, Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26 to 28 says, Then God said, let us make mankind or humankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the air and the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. Because the very first thing in creation is God is creating us together, to be together. It says, so he created mankind or humankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. It's called the Imago Dei. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. We were created together, both, to, in the image of God. One of us has part of the image of God and the other of us has the other. We're not, the image of God is not complete without both of us. If we're both not included in areas that decisions are being made when it comes to kingdom work, then something's missing in the Imago Dei, the image of God. We were created for an alliance, to partner together, to work together, and to steward this earth, this thing called the kingdom, together. Any kind of conversation that talks about one having power or the other happens after the fall. You, again, I'm going to kind of tell you to email me later because i got lots of... Um, comments on that, but you can talk about when um, the power happens, but it's after the fall. Here's how we do it well here at Lakeland. Here's how we include it, this partnership well. There's no ministry here at Lakeland that doesn't include both genders. Only men's ministry and women's ministry. We'll get that to, get to that at the end. But if there are decisions being made about women in this church, there are women in the room and at the table and their voices being heard. That is unique. That might be unique in your area of work, right? Um, that, that's certainly unique in church. I t- I'm telling you, there's only, like I said before, there's only 6% of pastors that are women and I'm not sure how many women elders I even know. But at Lakeland, there were women on steering team and, and on staff well before even I came. And I've been here over 20 years. 
Women have been leading ministries that have benefited women and have served men as well for as long as, as I've been around. And I know Dan, who when he started this church, made that to be. Well, Lori, too. Lori's been helped created this church, Dan and Lori. If there's an infant room, there's usually a male in there, too. If there's an elder session meeting, there's usually a female. Because we're both representing the image of God to the smallest of our children in the infant room to the eldest member of our church. We're both in partnership with each other, okay? Include, include women. If you are in a workplace and you have no women in your workplace, ask yourself why. You are a Christian male and a Christian female in your workplace If there are no other women who are represented in your field, ask yourself why and try to rectify it. I know for a fact, statistics say that women do not apply for jobs when they're looking at a job if they do not qualify for 100% of the qualifications. And men will apply for a job if they're about 70 or 80% qualified because they'll take that risk. But women just don't do it. So women, you got to apply for that job, and you've got to go for it. And then maybe you got to look at that job description and say, maybe we can do without some of this stuff. Or say, maybe on a little caveat on the bottom, you know, desired qualifications, not necessary. But rectify the situation where you realize that both men and women are not being, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Included. Yeah, represented. Thank you. Oh, okay. Second sermon. You still with me? Okay, include. What's the second one? Remember? Intervene. Intervene on behalf of women. This is going to be probably harder than um, the first one. Including women is usually easy because women work hard and we do a good job. But intervening on behalf of women are not, is not always easy, right? Like, do we get to still call women pretty? What do you guys think? Uh, women are like, yeah, you can still call me pretty. It's, it's touchy. It's a touchy subject, guys. So listen, um, intervention um, or intervening on behalf of women is going to take some social coin, some social currency. And, and that's what we need to show our guys. That, that kid in that article that I read at the beginning that's tough. It's tough to feel like you really, really want to belong. And everyone is saying something sexist against women. Okay? Um, it's more than likely going to be a microaggression. And here's how I think we do it well here at Lakeland. Um, if there's ever been a time where a female has been, and I've seen this time and time again, not many But there have been a handful of times where a woman has been harassed by a man and there has been no tolerance for it. I have seen elders, and I bowed out of the conversation because I'm chicken, (laughs) but I've seen women be harassed by men and, and men, elders and pastors and staff step in on their behalf and have absolutely zero tolerance for it. That's what intervention looks like. I've seen our male youth pastors 
call out our young men when they were being sexist or negative towards women. There's no tolerance from our staff on that. And I have seen our male staff and our women's staff talk to the young women in our um, congregation and say, that's not the vision of God for male and female. That's how you're doing it good. That's how you're doing it right. That's the vision that we want to keep up, guys. Good job. Those are the things that are the strongest and hardest to do. Because what if the gal says, listen, stay out of it, right? For a dude to intervene in something, it takes a huge risk, both for in his male peer's eyes and for maybe the female doesn't want it. Just what to do. But I say if you're going to err, err on the side of intervening for women. In the Gospels, this is what you're going to see Jesus do all the time. I just chose one. I chose John 4. But I went to John 8 too, and I almost did that one, but I ain't got no time. So let's go to John 4. (laughs) Samaritan woman. I chose this because Samaritan woman is a woman of another race. So Jesus was tired from the journey. He sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask, for me, ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank it from himself, as, also, as, his, as did his sons and his livestock? And Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water that I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up an eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, You are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, You have had five husbands, and the man now that you have not is have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So how's this intervening on behalf of women? How's this changing the culture? She kind of, you know, that type of gal, right? Here's what's here's what you're uh, not seeing. Jesus could have never talked to a female alone. This would not be socially acceptable at the time. Much less a Samaritan woman, which is indicated here in scripture, right? She was another race. She was a woman, which you would never do alone. And not only just a woman, but that kind of woman. She had five husbands and now she's on her sixth. And what that means is she was loose, guys. And, and, And at that time... As in what I believe now is that women use sexuality for economic purposes. And women do that, guys, 
because they need to. They did that when they're out of power and that's all they have left. That's all they have left. Now, it doesn't make it right. I'm not saying because it's biblical to the Bible. It's right. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying Jesus is trying to change that culture. Even in the most patriarchal, patri- I'm not going to be able to say it, patriarchal society. Thank you. Even in that situation, he was trying to change the power structure. And he changed her life because he went against all the rules. He talked to her and he said, listen, I've got something different. It's called eternal life. It's called something different than the power structure that be that that we all play the game by. I know that you have five husbands. I'm not going to go there though. So, here's the most exciting moment about that one because there's time and time again Jesus does this. He upsets the cultural force. He, scripture says, she went back and she won her whole community over to become followers of Jesus. She became an evangelist. Maybe one of the first women pastors. The Samaritan woman. Here's what's important. When we intervene on behalf of women, no matter who they are, they become carriers of the gospel. They become messengers of the gospel. They become the ones who spread the gospel all over the world. One of the things that I'm super, always, always going to be super proud of is the work that we do in the world. And if you had a chance to sit and listen to these initiatives that we were part of and have been in our financial challenge, you would say those initiatives all benefit the most vulnerable women. All. They all uplift women and empower them, which is what we're going to get to next. Never, ever, ever underestimate what your small intervention on behalf of a woman can do because we are a mighty force. Never underestimate it. If you intervene on behalf of a woman who's being trashed, that woman's life can be changed and she can go on to do great and mighty things. Watch her. We don't have all these words for nothing. We don't spread the gospel. And you may have intervened for the next Mother Teresa or the next Henrietta Mears, or Amy Semple, or Marta Gilliland, or name whoever you want that you see next to you. Your intervention might be for your daughter, or someone's intervention might be on behalf of that for the next generation of believers. So we include, we what? Intervene. Now we're going to affirm and we're going to power and empower. So, guys, we like to be pretty. We like to be attractive. You can still call us that if it's appropriate. But we really like it when men notice the, our contributions to the gospel. If the only thing that you have to say is a comment on what we appear, I talked to Jen Beard because she leads worship a lot. And she said early in the days, because she's been here as long as I have, if not longer, 20 years, she used to get a lot of comments about what she looked like because she doesn't wear makeup. And um, I used to get a lot of comments on that too, which was interesting. But um, the older I get, the the more that y'all know I'm not going to change. So, um, People, men, women need to hear your affirmations. 
we need to know that you're noticing it. We need to know that uh, we're not going to move to Paris, and you would not even know, right? Um, there's an empowerment that when you notice when a woman is doing something that is super important to the gospel, that you noticed it. The coffee doesn't show up on that table out there just by magic, right? Someone is doing that. Someone's coming in early and doing that for all of us, not just for the men, but for all of us. And like I said, all of our initiatives, interestingly, are led by women. And some of it is because of the time and, you know, their husbands are empowering and affirming them to do that. But that is just how, I mean, division of labor happens all the time. But sometimes men just get that kind of attention because they're maybe out there more. And women, we don't often want to acknowledge it ourselves. We just go, no, it's nothing, no big deal. We still want to be affirmed and empowered. Because affirmation means the Holy Spirit is present. <clears throat> Sorry, I went down to the border a couple of weeks ago. <clears throat> Speaking of women who were not empowered, but I caught the flute too, so got a little throat thing going. Um, all of our initiatives are led by women, and they're benefit women, and, and that hardly sometimes gets noticed, that that work is hard. Let's go to Galatians 3. So I had a Bible study last year and we studied Galatians. And in Galatians 3, or in really the whole book, Paul, the Apostle Paul is talking about race and gender. And what he says in Galatians 3, he says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized in Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There's neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor nor free, nor male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. The lens is all one in Christ Jesus. So what's, what's funny is that these are verses that are still really useful for today. And what's funny is that we went on to Galatians 5 and we talked about the fruits of the Spirit, which I'm going to read to you right now. The fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there's no law. So he's talking about what we are. There's, you know, what we aren't. What we aren't is our gender or our race or our status or any of these things. But what we are in Christ is one. And we share all of this fruit. We live in abundance. We ought to be affirming each other in this abundance. And the sad thing is I ask these ladies, which one of these fruits of the Spirit do you display most? None of them wanted to say which one they displayed most. None of them had that. Maybe it's because we were kind of in a large group. But there should be no female or male in this congregation that does not know which one is easy for them. That should have been affirmed by someone in your life. If not, then either you're not displaying the fruit of the Spirit or someone hasn't affirmed it. And far be it for us to have done, not done the latter. We are not yet a church until we are affirming and empowering each other in the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit really is all we have to run this Christian life. 
We are not under the power of each other, male or female. We are empowering each other through the Spirit. So who in your life, who do you have that you can say, oh, I know someone who has displaying a ton of love, joy, peace. That one's not me. Patience. Oh, not me. Uh, Kindness. I've been kind. Goodness. Faithfulness. Gentleness. And self-control. You guys got someone in your mind? Good, because you should affirm them and celebrate them. And, and that will, in turn, empower them. Okay? Let's go over this again. First, we're going to include <laughs> affirming and power. Thank you. Okay, thanks for listening to me, guys. Um, you guys are, like, looking at me like, oh, this is over. I'm seven minutes over. Uh, include, intervene, affirm, and empower. And do that for each other. Not just for women, but for each other. And against such things, there's no law. You'll do well if you do these things. But I'll pray. How about that? God, thanks for all of these things that you give us. Thanks for the men in this room. Thanks for the women in this room. And that you've given us a unique ability to include each other in ministry, to intervene for each other, and to affirm and empower each other. Help us to remember all of these things as we go about our daily walks and help us to be the Holy Spirit for each other. In Jesus' name, amen.